0: When we were living in Pearland and uh, I wake up in the middle of the night and I hear like a four o'clock in the morning upstairs, Ashley was making noise and singing and I'm thinking she needs to be asleep, what is she doing? And I felt like going upstairs and scolding her and I realized now it was because the Lord was giving her songs in the middle of the night and she would get up and, in the middle of her own physical challenges and pains. Of dealing with different uh, things like IBS and gluten intolerance. and We didn't even understand that at first, And but she was going through those things and God's really graced her and able to bring through the most difficult of times, the most beautiful times of worship and music, and, and sometimes out of our own challenges and struggles and pains, God brings the most beautiful things. You know, I was born in Japan, and so I'm going to use, a, my mother was Japanese, And I'm going to use a term right now to kind of give an analogy of what I'm just sharing, is because uh, there's a thing called the art of kintsugi. And the art of kintsugi comes from kind of like uh, there was a royal prince or something and part of the emperor's family, and he had a favorite teacup. And uh, whenever the teacup broke, instead of discarding it, they would fix it with strands of silver or gold. So every time it broke, they put more silver and gold in it. So it didn't look the same as when it was first created. But the moral of the story has become in Japanese culture is that even out of brokenness can become greater value. And when I think about the Lord, I think about out of our brokenness, He gives us greater value out of our brokenness than we could ever be in our own. We've tried to value things in this world, value what we think are important, But yet in our personal place of humility and brokenness before the Lord and and humbling ourselves before him, he makes us into something far more valuable. If you think about even Jacob, you know, when he was running from his past and all the internal wrestling and conflicts and challenges he was going through in his life, and uh, he was running and he comes to the place called the Fort of Jabbok. And the Fort of Jabbok is the place just before he went up to wrestle with the angel of the Lord. And the fort of Jabbok can also mean the place of totally letting go, total surrender. He was running with all these things, his history, his past, his struggles, his fears about what his brother Esau wanted to do to him. And, And so he comes to this fort of Jabbok, and in that place, he had to totally surrender before he could actually confront and be confronted by God himself with the angel of the Lord. And in that place of wrestling with God, he ends up prevailing with the angel of the Lord And he left with a limp. I've always shared and recently wrote an article about the devil wants your vision, but God wants your limp. The devil wants to steal your vision. He wants to take your hope. He wants to take your joy. He wants to take your strength. He wants us to compromise with the world, and he takes all that God really values for us, and the devil tries to distract us from the things of the kingdom to compromise with the world. And we think we're gaining the, all these things, but we're really losing, and we're losing strength, losing joy. We're never finding peace without truly surrendering at that place of total surrender to the will of God. And that place of total surrender with the will of God. We may wrestle at times with internal conflicts, but God always causes us to prevail even in the midst of those challenges because God's concern for us is greater than what the world has for us. I'd rather walk with the limp of God than with the strength of my flesh. Amen? As we were worshiping earlier, I was thinking about a scripture because the songs you were singing just brought this to mind. So I'm going to start with this and kind of get away from my original notes for a moment Uh, because it reminded me as we were worshiping of Psalm 29, verse 1 through 11. And I won't go into reading it all, but I want you to take a moment later to read it because there's a lot of noise pollution, a lot of things that would try to rob you of your joy, a lot of things that would try to steal your strength, the things that would try to distract you from God's vision and destination for your life. There are disappointments and distraction and discouragements that can keep us from our destination. God has a promise beyond the circumstances of the valleys, the mountains, the giants. God is bigger than all of those things. And we live in a world, we see what's happening in Israel right now, and we see what's happening around the world, and it can become very overwhelming. But God wants to remind us today... When he says in Psalm 29, verse 1 through 11, basically I wrote down, the voice and the sound of God is much louder and mightier than all the noise. And I'll break it down. It says in Psalm 29, 1 through 11, the voice of the Lord is over all the waters. Have you ever been around like a a waterfall? I've been to Victoria Falls in um, Zambia and Zimbabwe. It's like Niagara Falls. I mean, it's an incredible just sound. You can't hear anything else. You're drowning out the sound of water. If you've been to the beach and you hear the, the waves coming in, the sound, the crushing sounds of the waves, the water. And what he's saying is, look, the voice of the Lord is even over all the waters, all the sounds of the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks all the cedars. The voice of the Lord divides or stirs up or hews out the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. The Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Lord, right now, I thank you that in the midst of all the storms as we are worshiping today and in the midst of all that's going on, the voice of God is louder than all of that because you are the great King. You are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We thank you, Lord, that all of our questions and and concerns that maybe we have personally or even corporately, even as a congregation, Lord, that you would remind us of the incredible landmarks all these 65 years, and that you've been faithful to bring us through every single one of these situations that confront the world, confront our city, confront our nation, confront us, that you've always been faithful. And we can trust you to be faithful today and tomorrow and for the future vision that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I was driving, I'm driving, was, that was a quick drive, flying back from Miami yesterday. We were meeting with about 700 pastors in Miami for a gathering for Southern Florida. And uh, as we were flying back, I was just processing about the significance that God is not a God of coincidence. I and mean, you think about the significance of your celebration of 65 years, the birthing of the church. And of course, Pastor, almost. 35 years, you pastoring the church. Of course, Lily, your father who pioneered the church, what a legend that and a landmark that he has left a legacy through all of you. But when you consider even the founding of the church in 1958, it was in the midst of a time that didn't seem like a great time to start a church. You had global challenges. You had uh, the the, the Vietnam War was coming up. You had all these kinds of generational things. There was addictions and alcoholism and, and playing with drugs, and you're coming into that whole era of the hippie movement, and all these things were happening. It was a very unstable time in our nation and around the world, and yet it was in the midst of that God called your church to be a lighthouse, to be a center. To adore the Lord, a center of worship, a center of the word. And I want you to hold on to that because there's two things I feel like God wants to remind us of. And why you've been able to be sustained through all the storms and all the noise and all the challenges all these years is because you've never left the foundations of God's word. And so in 1958, in the midst of that, in the midst of what seemed like a, a not a good time, God pioneered a church in Alvin, Texas that ultimately has become a global impact church. So you're not just touching a community. You're not just touching greater uh, Alvin and Houston area. you're You're touching the nation. You're touching nations of the world from this very place. So in the midst of that calling and vision, you've always had a heart for the presence of God and for the Word of God that has sustained you through all these times. And if you look back at the legacy of God and the landmarks of God, if you look at every one of those landmark transitions, and even in 1989, Pastor, when you stepped in, you had been pastoring, co-pastoring, but stepping in as as a senior pastor, and as you have become a team, and and the, the ambassadorship, Pastor Avellino and Lily, your ambassadorship that is all over the city Your imprint, your influence is all over the city, so it's not just representing the church here at Emmanuel, but it's a church that has been an ambassador church to the city and to the nations because of your faithfulness, but you've never strayed from a desire for God's presence in His Word, and that's why many of you are here it's a generation, I'm looking around seeing the generations here, that is a depiction of what God wants to do is to have generational blessing, and so you've taken and built on good foundations, and then God has built on other foundations and landmarks along the way, and he's been faithful all these 65 years, and every step of the way, even in the midst of the most difficult of economic challenges, national challenges, divisions in America, global challenges, God has shown himself faithful. I was talking to Pastor Avelino and and just how even during COVID, you're building and God's expanding the kingdom. Isn't that how God works? The world needs all these things in place, but we need is God's favor and faith. And then I would go beyond just favor and faith. It's a place of trust. When I was a little boy, my, my mother was Japanese, but my father was an uh, underwater demolition frogman, originally from Houston, born and raised in Houston, but we were stationed in, J- in Japan, then we were stationed in Coronado, California, where the Navy SEALs are, because he was a, one of the original underwater demolition frogmen, later became the crossover where they became known as Navy SEALs, uh, and during the Vietnam War, he retired uh, halfway during the Vietnam War. And... Um, but I remember he took me to the, where all the Navy SEALs and all the BUDsmen trained in Coronado at the Amphibious Base. And I was a little boy, and I remember my dad could swim like a fish. When they train, they can sit there for hours like this in the water. I mean, they, it's like, how do you do that? It's not even natural. It's not normal. And I get there, I was so excited to go with my dad. We get there, and he gives me all this official Navy SEAL stuff and fins and the masks that they use and all the snorkels. And I mean, this is the real stuff, and he got that for me. and, And he jumps in the water, and he's just swimming around, goes, jump on in, son, the water is really nice. But I became so afraid. I had faith to believe he could be sustained in the water by himself. But because at that time he'd been drinking a lot, I, I remember thinking to myself, but I don't trust you to take care of me. And sometimes I think things in life cause us to not trust God. We have faith that God can do it for somebody else. We have faith that God can do it through somebody else, but we forget that God wants to work to, in and through us. It's an issue of trust. See, with the measure of faith of a mustard seed, we can move a mountain. So it's not the issue that do we have faith sometimes, it's the issue of do we have trust? Do we trust God? If you think about what Peter did, when Jesus first showed up to Peter and said, let's go be a fisherman, you'll cast on the other side, and, and here's a professional fisherman, and hearing some guy he'd never met saying, oh, by the way, you haven't caught any fish all night, but cast on the other side. I can imagine the first process of Peter thinking, who are you? I'm a professional fisherman. I know what I'm doing. I went and I know there's no fish. We fished all night. We caught nothing. But nevertheless, there was something in his spirit and he he went ahead and cast on the other side. caught so many fish that the net began to rip open and he had to ask for his neighbors or partners, net partners, to help him. We have to realize that we can't do what God's calling us to do by ourselves. We need each other. See, with a fishing pole, I can catch one fish, but if we become a net used by the Lord, being cast by the Lord, we can do a lot more together, and that's why there's something about a corporate anointing that comes when we come into agreement together for a common purpose vision that's bigger than us. But then even through all that Through all the things they went through And all the expectations And all of a sudden The the, the death, burial, and crucifixion And now Peter's like doubting Thinking wow what did I just do For the last three years Did I waste my time I mean I was hoping that And I was thinking that And and, uh, you know I know it was real But yet at the same time He began to have all these doubts So what did he do He didn't do what Jesus said to do He went back to do What he was comfortable doing Sometimes when we go through pressure, we go back to trusting the flesh rather than trusting the Lord. And so he goes back to doing what he knew how to do in the natural. Instead of being a fishers of men and making disciples of nations, he went back to become a fisherman. So he went back to do what his flesh was comfortable doing. He felt comfortable in that place. And again, Jesus shows up and he says... He catches nothing. He says, cast on the other side. He doesn't even recognize Jesus. But he says, Jesus says, cast on the other side. Again, it's probably thinking, look, I've been fishing all night. There's nothing out there. We've all been fishing. We're all cleaning our nets. And he says, cast on the other side. And that still small voice again, he obeys. He casts on the side. And so many fish he begins to catch that the nets were ripping open. He had asked for his neighbors and his friends and the partners to come help again. And this time, Jesus was already putting the fire together to cook the fish. And when they came in, they counted 153 big fish. Look at somebody next to you and say, big fish. We had a Japanese, uh, the daughter of a Japanese pastor from Japan come to stay with us for a month, last month, and, and uh, she went fishing for the first time and, and in a little pond, and and, uh, and so we said, in Texas style, everything's bigger in Texas. So when you get home, she caught a little fish like this. When you get home, just tell your family, we caught a fish. I mean, a really big fish because everything's bigger than Texas. But that, for her, it was like huge because it was the first time she ever went fishing. And, uh, but the reality is these were big fish. So they were overwhelming. There were 153 big fish that the net were ripping open. They were counting it. And, uh, and I always wondered, why would the Bible... Say, specifically, 153 fish. And so if I believe the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it's infallible, and that's a sad thing today, that the majority of people, even Christians, don't even believe that the Word of God is is God's inspired Word anymore. And that's where we have to get back into the Word and why you're in a safe place because you're in a place that believes in the Word. And so I said, well, Lord, why 153 fish? Why would you put that? Why is it sp- if it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's infallible, why did you specifically want us to know about that? And so I began to read different commentaries, and, and one of the commentaries I was reading was expressing that there was 153 known nations of the world at the time. So this time, when he counted the fish is when he began his eyes open and he begins to weep. Because now he probably remembers three years ago when Jesus said, make disciples of nations, come be a fisher of men. This time, Jesus never said, I told you so. But just by using the circumstance, counting 153 fish, remembering what Jesus had said, and here he was going back to what he's comfortable doing, and Jesus saying, I told you, let's go be a fisher of men. Let's make disciples of nations. Sometimes, see, God's not judging us for, for sometimes not trusting, but He's wanting to remind us that the only hope for our future is not based on the works of the flesh, but it's not based on what the world can offer. It's based on our trust in God because He gives us faith to move mountains. He gives us faith to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? Amen. Now, there's no coincidence why this weekend is 65 years. I'm just sharing my heart right now. If you look at the year 520, and I still call it BC, I know they've changed it because they don't want to say before Christ anymore or, or after death. They want to call it BCE and, and you know, uh, uh, CE, which is now to take Jesus out of it. I choose to keep Jesus in it because there is no tomorrow without Jesus he is the same yesterday today and forever so they say technically it's bce before common era era you know and so but it's to me it's still bc before christ so in 520 bc on the 21st day of the month of tishri which is the the first month of the civil year in the hebraic calendar jewish calendar and the seventh month in their ecclesiastical or religious calendar. But both still mean Tishri, which is also their Rosh Hashanah, the first of day of the beginning for them. So Tishri began this year at sundown, September 15th. And then it goes for 10 days with the days of all up until Yom Kippur. Now it is said in Jewish, uh, in Jewish theological studies that the first day of Tishri or Rosh Hashanah, at the beginning of the ten days of awe, they say, it is written. In other words, we're about to enter into a place that we know God has already said it, God has already written it, it's already done. And then on Yom Kippur, it says, it is sealed, the day of atonement. And so we see that that this year, at the beginning of the sundown, September 15th, was the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, the month of Tishri. And it was on the first day of the month of Tishri... That if you look at Nehemiah chapter eight, verse one, two, and three, and you read that chapter later, it says on the first day of the seventh month. I should say, think that was July, but the first month of the the first day of the seventh month was the month of Tishri, which happens to be their Rosh Hashanah, the very beginning of new era, new beginning, a, a time for a new season. But to go to the future, they have to sometimes take evaluation of of where they are and where they've been. So on the first day of Tishri, which the Bible and New King James and King James say the uh, the beginning of the, the first day of the seventh month, but in Jewish calendar, it is the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the civil year, and the first day of the seventh month, which is Tishri, but their new beginning, that Nehemiah had Ezra stand before the people. He began to read out of the law, just reading it, with not all the frills and all the smoke machines and and, all the the things we can do in the natural to get our flesh worked up or even, even try to work the spirit up. It was just strictly he began to read the Word. And as they began to read the Word, people began to weep. There's something about the Word because the Word of God is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. There's something about when we really hear the Word in a corporate context, when we hear the Word, it does something to penetrate our spirit and begins to renew our minds by the washing of the Word. They began to weep. Why? Because they realized they had become in all their just doing religion and and their journey for them to be able to restore the altar and to see the temple restored. And as they came to Jerusalem, for that to be restored, they had to first restore the place of the love of the truth, the love of God's word. And when they began to hear the word, they realized with all they're doing, how untethered and how far they had gotten away from the Lord. And they began to weep. On the first day of Tishri, the word is declared. It is written. On the day of atonement in, their, in Jewish tradition, it is sealed. And we know that what has been sealed for us 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary by the great act of love, the high cost of love on Calvary, that our sins were atoned for those who call upon the name of the Lord. So it is sealed. Romans 8 says we are sealed by the what? Spirit of adoption. So it is written, it is sealed. And then yesterday was the 21st day of Tishri this year, the year 5784, which would have been 520 years B.C., or BCE, whatever you want to call it, before Christ. 520 years before, in Haggai chapter 2, God spoke to Haggai, the prophet, and said, Speak to Zerubbabel on the 21st day of uh, Tishri. Speak to Zerubbabel and speak to Joshua and speak to all the people. Now, here's what I want you to listen to. Because here's a context of a global challenge again, like the years of 1958 and the 1980s and what we've all lived through over the years, uh, Y2K, uh, 9-11, uh, the, the COVID ep- epidemic. All these things have come, but God has been faithful. Yes. Yes. And what he says to Haggai to speak to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel represents governmental authority. We have an authority to speak in the seen and unseen realm, because every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Colossians 1.12 says and throughout that chapter that everything that was, that everything, Jesus is the preeminent one, the son of God's love, by which all things were made to, through, for, and by him. That all kingdoms, principalities, rulerships, and dominions, seen and unseen, are subject to him. That means there's nothing greater than Jesus. There's no circumstance, no giant, no valley too big, deep, no no mountain too high, no giants too big that's bigger than Jesus that we can put our trust in. So, in 520 BC, God says, "Speak to Zerubbabel. Speak to the government authority. Speak to them. Speak to Joshua. All the to the priesthood, or to those today in the New Testament. We are the royal priesthood, right? A holy nation. Speak to the people." and speak to all the people. He says be strong and keep working. Now why would he say that? Be strong and keep working. He says because my spirit is with you. Then he says don't be afraid. Don't walk in fear because my spirit Now, that was a great place. Oh, wow, God, thank you. It's so awesome, God. He's given me a promise. Then he goes right into, he's preparing us. He goes right into saying, because I'm about to shake heaven and earth, sea and dry land. We see that in Hebrews chapter 12, that when everything is going to be shaken, they can be shaken, except the unshakable kingdom that cannot be shaken. So that means when everything else seems to fall apart, the only thing we can rely on is what we know can't be shaken. And so we can't rely on what we're comfortable with. We can't rely on the world. We can't rely on the things of the flesh. We need to rely on the things of God. So it's no coincidence that yesterday on the 21st day of Tishri, you're celebrating 65 years of the Word of God, the presence of God. Birthed out of difficulties, sustained through even through difficulties, God continues to increase his kingdom. You continue to expand the borders of your tent, even through it all, because you've put your hope and faith in God, and you stay true to the fundamentals of staying in God's word, knowing it is written, it is sealed, and you're inviting his presence and working together to become part of something greater than yourself. So the 21st day of Tishri, isn't it interesting also how things are magnified? Because here it is on the, on, uh, at the, the last day of Sukkot, the, the uh, festival of, of booths or the Feast of Tabernacles... Reminding the Jewish fa- uh, people that of their wilderness, 40 years of God's sustainability and provision, even in their sin, that God was even taking care of them those 40 years, so they do the, 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 the Feast of Tabernacles. It ends on this past Friday, the 6th, and that evening begins Shabbat, and that evening going all the way from Friday night all the way into Saturday night was the 21st day of Tishri. And how God was even here Friday night and Saturday, and now we're moving into the day after Tishri, that from Friday night through Saturday, that God was reminding you of His goodness of 65 years. At the same time, Israel is being attacked. And we began to get messages from friends of ours in bunkers, in shelters during that whole process of Many U.S. citizens were kidnapped or killed as well. I started getting pictures of people, sending pictures of women and children that were kidnapped and praying that they're not being brutalized right now. In the midst of a world that's a mess, I was asked to be on a national emergency Zoom call prayer yesterday and to share my thoughts, and I shared a little bit about Tishri. And the importance that, look, God says, even in the midst of what we're going through, yes, we need to stand against the wiles of the enemy. We need to stand up for what is right. We need to stand with Israel and pray for Israel. For those who bless Israel shall be blessed. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the peace of the Middle East. I'm doing all that, but at the same time, I'm reminding how do I encourage people who are going through challenges right now not to give up. And just like you as a congregation have encouraged people all these decades Circumstances are not bigger than God. God is bigger than the circumstance. And then on that very five year 5,7,,84, on the 21st of Tishri, in the hotbed of the Middle East out of Israel, the world is being shaken, and the devil's trying to distract us. But it's a time where we hear from God again, just like in Haggai. On the 21st day of Tishri, speak to them and say, be strong. Don't cower in fear. Be strong and keep working. Keep doing what I've called you to do. Luke 21, verse 13, in the midst of all the challenges that Jesus spoke about, says, but it will be an occasion for your testimony. These are our moments for us as the church. To rise up and to bless, to rise up and be who God's called us to be, not to walk through circumstance in fear, but to walk in faith and trust in God, so we can become those who can live in such a way that it becomes an opportunity for our testimony. Because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the what? Word of our testimony. Be strong, keep working. Because I'm with you, says the Lord. Don't walk in fear. Don't be afraid. For my spirit remains with you. So that when all the shakings come, you have that promise to hold on to. When the difficulties individually or corporately come, we have that promise. How many know that God's bigger than all the circumstances? So whatever is being shaken in our lives. If the sea and dry land, heaven and earth are being shaken, we have this one promise. And here's the big promise. If we have the promise, we can be strong and keep working. We can not walk in fear because the Spirit of God is with us. Not to be afraid because the Spirit is with us. And he says, so when all these things that seem like is going on around you, it's not even the end. Because he says, the glory of the latter house. Shall be greater than the former. So, whatever you see, if you hold on to the promise of God and fix your eyes on Him, then we know that the greater is yet to come in the midst of whatever we've been through. I really sense, pastors, I really sense that God's given you a great team and you've built on a great foundation. And it's not always been easy. But you know, I tell people all the time, I'm still here. In my human frailty, even in the arrogance of my youth when I was young, I'm still young, I'll be 50 for the 17th time next week, but even all the things in my learning process and my journey of the Lord that he's never given up on me, and I'm still here. And when all these other things can come and go, and the newest in thing, and the newest thing, and the newest exciting thing, and people come and go, but yet there is a place that people know is still here. It's stable. It's built on the word and inviting God's presence. I am not against different styles of worship and, and sometimes some of the hype and the excitement and the exhilaration of getting together with all these big Christian things, but there is something about stability. I learned from a friend of mine, Winky Prattney, who wrote and used to say that it's fun to go windsurfing, but when the storms start coming, you better be connected to an ocean liner, a place of stability. The storms in life are out there. We need places that we know we can trust, that are stable, and they're going to give us the word, not just the milk, but the meat of the word. And that, I have to tell you, is one thing I've always appreciated about your pastors. They're in the midst of being a part of being ambassadorial for the kingdom and basically, I mean, not, not criticizing or judging everybody else, but they, but they are called to a place of deeper consecration, commitment to God's Word, and a stewardship of God's people. And they've always been about teaching the Word and inviting the authentic presence of God. And that's why I know that the glory of the latter house, and we honor the former, and we live in landmarks. We don't make an idol to those days, but we do create landmarks along the way of God's goodness. But we bring those in the context of today. The day after the 21st day of Tishri, in the midst of a world that is shaken, in a midst of a world that could be so disheartening, we know we're in a place that's stable, that you can trust in God's Word because God's about to pour out His Spirit because, and finally, I'm not finished, but I'm just going to finish. And I've given you a lot of Scripture you can read on your own. I didn't go through my notes because I felt like this was one of those moments I just need to come out of my spiritual well. In December of 2022, I kept waking up over and over overwhelmed by what was about to happen. I get these from time to time. It happened to me a few years ago, then again before, just before COVID. Different things I won't share now, but the one thing I did get this past 2022 about the coming season, I kept hearing a recurring dream over and over, waking up, and I couldn't get it out of my spirit. One, God is doing exposures. He's going to expose what is done in darkness, and he's going to spotlight what he's doing in his people at the same time. Second word was that there was going to be implosions. Implosions or the crumbling of all the institutions that people put their faith and trust in. And the only thing that would not implode is the unshakable kingdom of God. But after all that, the midst of all these exposures, spotlighting, and, um, and, and implosions, and we've seen so many implosions. I mean, Congress and and implosions of banking systems and companies and everything we thought, even the church world, we've seen so many implosions of things that we thought were like, wow, that's successful, but things are imploding. But he says, after all that, I'm going to bring explosions, explosions of the dunamis presence of God that he was going to bring his dunamis presence, his suddenly moments. And it's not suddenly to him, it's suddenly to us because 80 plus times in Scripture it says suddenly and it's never suddenly to God. He knew what he was doing. Just like in Acts chapter 2, it was a suddenly to us but not a suddenly to God. He had already arranged all the known nations of the world to be in Jerusalem at that moment on Pentecost weekend so that when... When the upper room, when they were worshiping 120, when all the known nations were around in the city, that in the upper room, he showed up to 120 people, and in one day, thousands were added to the church. So, in the midst of an awkward time, in the midst of a difficult time, in the midst, God was already putting everything together, and all we had to do is come before Him with authentic love for truth authentic worship, and to be focused on Him. And in that suddenly moment to us, but not suddenly to Him, boom, like a rushing mighty wind, tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit shows up, and we know the rest is history. Could it be that all these 65 years was not just about a preparation for where we are today for Alvin, but God's about to do something in in an exponential way, in an explosive way, in a dunamis way. And all the prayers, all the sacrifices, all the tears have come to this moment. And God will breathe on it when we have a love for his word. We know it is written. It is sealed. And we know who we're serving. Lord, I pray For Pastor Avellino and Lily, and all the family, and all the staff, and the congregation, even those.